And now on the tee, from Guelpaha, Ontario, Tim O'Connor driving, as well as Golf Spiritual Leader. Here we are for another episode of Swing Thoughts. Where were you guys last week? People are wondering, was there something awry? Did something go amiss? Tim? Tim was sick. Tim had a viral infection, a.k.a. a common cold. And you can probably tell by my sonorous voice that's oh, yeah. still hanging on like a terrier on my pant leg. I was uh, hanging out with O'Connor in person yesterday. It's basically sounds like he'd been smoking hash all weekend. Just big giant bowls. But um, fun than what happened. <laughs> um... As always, we're uh, proud to be sponsored and brought to you by some very fine folks. And uh, since we have access to this, um, and this will impress our uh, our guest, who is an official friend of the show. We'll get to him in a second. But have a listen to this. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things, distance and forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the all-new Stealth 2 with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. Wait. Did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly. Rory gets it. The all new TaylorMade Stealth 2. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. How you like that? Huh? How you like them apples? When we first started, our guest Sean Casey was like, what are you guys doing? A show in your garage or something? Um... I sorry, I got foreshadowing. Our guest is Sean Casey. We'll get to him in a second. So, brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, Timmy and I are well into the uh, season now, all decked out, hitting stealth this and uh, three wood that, and it's it's pretty special. Uh, I got to witness O'Connor in person yesterday. Still hits it out there. Uh, but Tim also brought to us by brought to us by the best golf polo you could ever own. Who is OscarBravo.com? You need to visit it to learn more about these incredible polos. There's, they're so special. There's only 100 made of each design every year. So you know that it's highly unlikely that anyone at your club or anyone you know would have one of these amazing shirts, which looks spectacular, made of fine Italian fabric, and uh, they're the best fitting and feeling polo you could ever wear. We were uh, lucky enough to hang out with the Who Was Oscar Bravo dudes yesterday at uh, the Paintbrush. And I, I love this because all four of us were going to show up in our Who Is Oscar Bravo polos. And Tim sends me a note last week. He goes, like, hey, do you think we should coordinate so we don't all wear the same thing? I said, no. I think what we should do is take like a randomizer and see if any of the four of us would show up in the same shirt. And you know what? I don't know the math, but there's there's eight of these shirts and all four of us were wearing different ones. It was amazing. It was like, yeah, it was like going to a wedding and being worried that right. someone else has the same dress and we managed to escape that. Well, actually, um, it was cool because it was... Uh, it was a chance to see what they look like on other people. Like it looks great on you guys. I got really my arms are too long. 
Anyway, um, as well, brought to us, uh, our newest sponsor, StretchLab.com. You know, you watch any PGA Tour event, you always talk about, you hear these guys talk about their, their physio table, and a lot of what they're doing is getting stretched prior to the round. This is your chance to improve sports performance, increase range of motion and flexibility, and reduce muscle and joint pain. Go check it out. Uh, really is something else. If you've never had an assisted stretch right now, you can get an introductory one. 50 minutes for $59. Find out more at stretchlab.com. What do you think of that, Casey? Huh? He's gone now. Good job. Good See? job, boys. You guys are like pros now. Look at us. When we first started, was Casey our first guest or was one of our first guests? One of our first guests for sure. In those days, it was me and Tim and Casey was like, yeah, yeah. I'll do this for you, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do you a favor. I'll by do you a up. favor. And now we're like, hey, Sean, we can't really, we can't have you on the show because David Ledbetter is on. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you guys have had some uh, pretty impressive people join your show. I appreciate you uh, inviting me back to be in the in the mix amongst Always. all the other uh, heroic. Uh, golf icons you have on the show dude hey 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 hey. you are impressive exactly this is one of the greatest golf instructors this country's ever spit out and and becoming a golf entrepreneur with the burl oak golf academy bill organ door golfing um that's your chance your opportunity to flog it there case no i appreciate you did a good job burl oak indoor golf dot com (laughs) um look it up look it up Check it out. Check it out. By the way, foreshadowing for you STDs, uh, we got a great Ledbetter story for you after Sean that has to do with the Canadian Open. But let's start with that. Let's open with that because obviously, you know, we're going to talk about it. And I'm wondering a couple things because Sean's been helping junior golf in Canada, producing a lot of great players. Do you have any... um, uh, Have you been around Nick Taylor? Know people that know him? Any... Uh, interaction with him in any way? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely had some interaction with him. Um, very good guy. Uh, you know, in many ways, if you look at all the Canadians, um, they hold true to being the typical Canadian good guy, you know? And in some ways, sometimes a little bit, uh, call it mild-tempered, calm, you know, whatever you want to call it, but uh, just super good guy. Um, so I did get a chance to spend some time with Glenn Abbey one day uh, when he was there for an event of some sort. Could have been an RBC event of some kind, not the Canadian Open, but some sort of uh, other RBC executive event, I think it was. But um, so spent some time with him on the track, man. He, he out of all the guys that were there that day, and, and Brooks Kepka and Kucher and all the other RBC guys, uh, he was the one that when he came by and I had my track man set up, he spent the most time with me. Um, not necessarily because of me, but, uh, you could tell he was just interested in sticking around, hitting a few on the track, man. And he, he kept coming back to see the numbers and most of the guys just kind of hit it, maybe check out the, the, the one number from the one shot they hit and then off they went. But Nick, uh, hung around, he might've been there for 10 minutes, hitting drives and coming back to the machine. And he, he was obviously, you know, taking advantage of the fact that there was a track man there and trying to, uh, dial it in a little bit better before he went on uh, to the next hole. So. Pretty cool. It strikes me just as a a real, just genuine guy, grounded. Um, you know, not not in love with himself by any measure at all. 
And I think what I know, I don't want to get your input on and what you've witnessed of Nick Taylor before is just, so I'll go back to that word grounded throughout that back nine, which was, you know, chaotic as hell. And then you got a four hole playoff. My gosh, just the, the way he just held himself in this sort of state of emotional neutrality and not too high, not too low. Uh He just stayed with the game. What was your observation of Nick Taylor and the way he handles himself? Yeah. Handled it. I mean, like a pro, um, not that obviously they're all pros out there, but um, you can tell that he's won before. I guess you could say maybe that he's, he's just very prepared. He was prepared um, to be in that moment. He, the biggest moment he'd ever been in. He acknowledges that it was the coolest and biggest thing that ever happened, but um, you can just tell by the way he handled the playoff and even getting into the playoff and the way he, you know, I think you commented Tim and, and by the way, that, that piece you wrote on the Monday was awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're, you're, I remember. Yeah, we're going to get to it. Po- point form. And yeah, it was great. Beautiful points in there. But uh, I think you mentioned his pre-shot routine, but I think that's pretty important. You could just see the consistency, how the pre-shot routine was upheld. And, it, you know, I guess his belief in that, you know, and just going about his business um, and not trying to change anything, make it more than it was. He just kept going about each shot the same as he had done the previous, uh, you know, four rounds. And, uh, yeah, I was just impressed by the way he handled himself. But I also think, in general, the Canadian guys, this sort of props to the Canadian program. But the the coaching and support for the Team Canada uh, is, is world-leading. And we see other countries looking to us to mimic our development system, which is pretty cool. Our development system was not built off golf. You know, we, we largely built ours off looking at other sports. We, we knew there weren't a lot of golf countries ahead of us, even at the time. Uh, we were doing a lot of good things. But, mm-hmm. you know, Golf Canada went out and looked at the best swimming producers in the world and other sports and tried to pull from other sports and get ideas as to how to improve the golf support program in Canada. But anyway, it's great, and you can just see it and how well prepared to play at the highest level Nick and Corey and, and all the guys are. So, Well, Golf Canada, after uh, I think it was 2004, when Vijay Singh beat Weir, I think around that time, maybe coincidental, started to look at the program. Can you get, before we move on to some of the ideas of, of golf instruction that we wanted to talk to you about, but what are some of those things that Golf Canada developed that made our junior program so strong and has developed into a world-class uh, professional uh, group of guys? Because I think this is, Tim, not, isn't this the most... Canadians that have ever been inside the top 100 in the world at one time. It's certainly the first time this many Canadians have won in the same year on the PGA Tour. So, Sean, what are some of those things, if you know? It's very broad. Um, It would be hard to comment on all of it, but, you know, one would be, uh, call it building the base. You know, I think that Canada and Golf Canada has done a great job of getting Canadians more into the game. So that's one thing that they identify is like, if we're going to have a lot of upper echelon players, we need a good base of junior golfers coming into the game. So that's one thing they put effort into. You'll see changes and, and over time as to, as to, and programs, future links. Now they're uh, jumping on board with a program in the U S called first T. So, you know, there's, there's initiatives to build the base of players. 
Uh, and then when it comes to, you know, the, the middle level, if you will, okay, now the kids are actually playing tournaments, they're out there, it's identifying talent. So talent ID, finding ways to get on the radar, kids that should be on the radar. And that, wow, this kid's pretty good. We want to keep an eye on him. He might be a potential future player for our, say, uh, Team Ontario. So they're doing better at talent identification, for example, at junior tournaments. Uh, and a junior tournament held just the other day in Niagara Falls. One of my boys was there, and I think it was Golf Ontario. might have been a Golf Ontario or a Golf Canada initiative, but there was like a talent ID before the tournament started. Kids got a chance to come by, hit some balls, hit some chips, hit some putts in front of somebody that was uh, with the association. Uh, and it was pretty cool. The person that was running the talent ID uh, program wrote me a message and said, hey, Sean, just want to let you know I met one of your, your boys and was super impressed and just great job. And, you know, that sort of thing kind of reached out and said he really opened his eyes at the talent ID uh, session. Anyway, the boy did go on to win the tournament too, but um, but that they're doing a good job of getting on the radar good young players that aren't at the provincial level yet, you know, for potential invitation into those provincial teams, which are then the pathway to the Canadian team. So a couple of things there for you guys, but there's there's lots going on in the background to to figure out who's coming up next through the system. Yeah, well, just just because I'm an old guy, I can provide some historical context. And uh, so way back in the 90s, um, there wasn't really much going on. There was they were looking Canada and a lot of other countries were looking at Sweden for this incredible program that they were doing. And it was interesting. So the RCGA, now known as Golf Canada, uh, took kind of the bull by the horns and created the Future Links program. And they engaged Ben Kern who at the time was at the Nash and, and um, then Devil's Pulpit, you know, you know, former tour player, you know, world, you know, well, renowned in Canada as a junior instructor. And they engaged him to the chagrin of the Canadian PGA. So what my point of making about this is that it takes some opening up to understand, you know, what needs to happen here. And I think what happened then is that from future links, you then had the PGA, of Canada in the 2000s had the long-term development program case. I think you remember that. And so you had academics coming together and like examining things like the Swedish program and, and what's going on, as you say, in like swimming and in China and all these different. And so it's just kind of mushroomed and rolled along, but it's not without some say resistance and, you know, not guarding turf anymore. And so it, it takes a while for these things to develop. And I think we're seeing the fruits of this now, as you say, with, as Howard said, I don't think there's ever been this many no. uh, Canadian males. I mean, there, there was the LPGA tour. It had a bunch of Canadians, the Lisa Walter, Donco Jones. AJ. Yeah, in that era. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's very cool to see. But it, it, it it's like it takes a long time for these things to come to fruition. Sure. Um, Sean, you know, you were talking about Nick Taylor and uh, going through the process and we were all impressed by, you know, any fans of the mental game as we are could see clearly that he was trying to cheat to treat these moments as though they were just part of a continuum of moments. It didn't seem like even in the playoff, as you guys were discussing, that it didn't seem to to take him out of his routine, even after he hits him like medium shots. But I think the average person is fascinated by the following. Those guys, whether it's in a tournament 
or they're in contention, I should say. But they, they seem to be able to take their good swings to actual play. Where a lot of golfers are fascinated by the fact that they can hit it pretty decent on the range or maybe in front of you in a lesson, but are unable to reproduce that for a variety of reasons when it matters. And I don't even mean it matters in a tournament, when it matters in the course of a round. Now, you've been teaching a long time. What is it about those guys and maybe some takeaways for our audience when it comes to transferring your range game to the actual game game? If you give me a moment, I'm just going to rattle off quickly a few. You guys tell me which ones you want to dig into more. All right. But one thing would be your recipe of what you do with your time. You know, if we look back on the player that fails when it comes to the competition, well, what have they been doing? Have they been playing lots of competitions? What does their practice look like? The recipe of what they do with their time is certainly very important. Um, You know, what is this? Let's just say, hypothetically, that the reason they don't perform well is because of, we'll call it performance anxiety. In many cases, I would think that would be the case. Uh, Well, I think we should look at what are the sources of the performance anxiety. Why do they feel it? Why is it so heightened? I mean, would Nick Taylor have felt some sort of performance anxiety during the playoff? Absolutely. Uh, did it? Did he succumb to it? No. Would we say that the average player that does succumb to it was feeling even more anxiety? Probably. Um, but don't you have to understand that players that play well in spite of the anxiety understand that you can still perform at a very high level, sometimes higher than when not, when you feel that anxiety. We see some of the greatest shots in the history of golf being performed, the craziest shots under the most intense anxiety and pressure. So a, 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 a better player would, would feel it and say, you know what, I can still perform right now. Matter of fact, I might pull out some even crazier than normal shots right now. So how you frame it, I think, is important. How you kind of say, okay, I'm feeling this. Am I going to frame this in the box of, oh, sh- shit, here I go. I'm stressed. I'm going to fail. Or, hmm. I might pull off some crazy shots right now. This is pretty cool. Let's let's just roll. Mm-hmm. Let's ride it. So exactly. That's that's yeah. important. You know, people who really succumb to performance anxiety, I think in many cases uh, are playing for other people. So they're, they're the type of people that you'd hear say something like, uh, I, I didn't want to embarrass myself. They'll use the word embarrass a lot. I try to get my players to absolutely never use that word again in their life. It, it's simply just acknowledging how much they're playing for the other people. So uh, I would never... Use the word embarrassed. You should put the focus on you, set some goals. Yes, I'm nervous. I want to play well for me. Uh, but don't have a goal of going out there and playing to some standard that you think gets you above the threshold of not being embarrassed. I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Uh, it's important to realize no one cares. I mean, at the end of the day, I remember <laughs> I posted a hat. It was a picture of a hat I saw in a pro shop. I posted it on Instagram. Probably got more likes than any post I've ever made, but I think people liked it. And it was just simply no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> The golf hat. No one cares about your golf. It's very important to remind yourself about that. Um, And then ultimately, strategies. I mean, realize that, yes, I mean, the the top players that are performing at a high level, there are strategies being implemented to reduce those feelings of anxiety. The breathing techniques, the focus techniques, they're aware of their posture, keeping their eyes up, taking deep breaths, the pace of their walk, yada, yada. There's strategies in place to reduce some of those feelings. So I saw something the other day, I think it was pretty important, but it's like, make your practice as intense as possible. Treat your practice like you're at the masters and and treat every shot like it's the most important shot ever. 
but decrease the level of importance of the shots on the course. So it's like, if you can understand, yeah, that's a bit of a game being played, a mental game, but increase the intensity and the importance of your practice shots and decrease the importance and intensity of your shots on the course, because naturally they're going to be very intense. Naturally, the practice shots are less intense. So you're trying to play that game up the intensity of practice, decrease the intensity of play. Maybe you'll meet in the middle. You know, if you can get to where you have a shot that's important on a golf course and you say to yourself, geez, I, I made a really important putt the other day in practice. It was maybe to break my record in a par 18, for example, up and downs. And you're like, geez, I had a, I had to chip in on my last hole to shoot my record in par 18. You know, that might've felt potentially almost as pressure packed as the shot on the course, because you've induced and implemented pressure in your practice. So, you know, there's some, some stuff if you guys want to dig into some of that. But um, well, all of that is great stuff. I just yeah, I'm not I, sure I we're came in, yeah, came we're into that. I mean, and, and those I love, are all. I was going to say those are all things that we've discussed in general uh, over the course of eight years. Um, the there's a great little drill that I've been doing the uh, you know three four five six seven drill putting drill, and it basically replicates that. You know, you just you you putt from those lengths. You give yourself five chances to go all around. And here's the thing: as soon as you miss a putt, you have to start again. And and by the time it's the fifth time around, if you haven't sank those putts, listen, I've been by myself and I've got to that seven footer, knowing I've got no more chances, and I've sank it, and I fist pumped. Like I was so excited that I got it because, and there's no one around but me because it does in your brain give you a little bit of um, something as opposed to just throwing down some balls and, and hitting some putts. Tim, where did you want to take this? Well, I, Sean, I loved all of what you're saying. I mean, if you want to do well in tournaments, what do you got to do? Play a lot of tournaments. You've got to have those tournament reps and have felt the nerves on the first tees, your names announced and, and, and to, you know, know that you're sucking big time and that your name's going to be on the board and, you know, there's going to be a big number and no one cares. That is crucial, but I also love what that was a really cool thought. I've never heard that before. Increase the intensity of your practice, decrease the intensity on the golf course. I love that thought because I've had so many times, as I'm sure you've heard case is that you had to say someone's, you know, working on their chipping and they'll go say, Hey coach, I worked two hours, hit them all. Great. You know, for two, like I was a plus handicap chipper. I went out on the golf course to play a men's night and my first chip, I chunked it. You know, and and they're living and dying with that one chunk. So it is. But I think what kind of like binds a lot of it together is awareness, you know, awareness of what's happening to me. And if you know you're going to get anxious, you got a good ground going late. What could you do? Put your attention on walking in your body. Look around, feel the breeze on your face, all that so you can be present. But before we let you go, Case, I want to ask you about, you know, we can do all the great things. But at the moment of truth, and what I want to get to is Fleetwood. I mean, he butchered that last hole in regulation. And here's one of the best players in the world. I mean, the guy's won six European tour events, Ryder Cup, and even he couldn't in that moment bring it. It's just so interesting. I mean, we can practice all we want, but we're going to hit squirrely shots. How do you coach players on that stuff, particularly in an intense moment like that? I think, you know, it, it was raining, I believe, as well. And I think it is a factor. But, you know, you'd think he'd, he'd have that experience, too. Like, 
he heard, uh, I think it was Nick Taylor comment on how he had hit a fairway wood in a situation where he normally would have had driver. Uh, and he said it was because of the rain. And he felt like, you know, the spins you get off the ball, you get such a flat face driver. All of a sudden, give you an example, but let's just say you have a tendency to tow it every now and then under pressure. Uh, it, with a dry ball and a dry face, that's going to gear effect draw. Uh, but you tow it in the rain and the friction is lower and it starts right and doesn't come back. So the, the, the gear effect is dependent on friction. Right. Well, that's like the window, you know, when you're pouring rain. So uh, the shots tend to do things they don't normally do in the rain. And, you know, a player who's experienced that knows that. He might even he might choose a different club. Um, you know, but to, to see Fleetwood hit the second shot as far right as he did, mm-hmm. you know, all I can, and I'm not saying, hey, uh, the pressure or whatever, and that I, I wouldn't have done that. I'm just saying at his level – he needs to find a way to not be hitting his third shot from where he was. No, I know. You know, he's got to give himself a chance. That's a, that was, that was a, and he hit a good shot from there. Pretty good. But you know, he had to find a way to, I think, keep it more to the left. The pin was on the right, give himself some green to work with. Uh, that was where I think he lost the chance to kind of win it in regulation. But uh, Let me just yeah. bring him back down to uh, just a regular level for the guy listening. Who's going to go play and not even a, a significant round. Because part of my question, and, and, you, and you answered it terrifically, but you, know, about, but you answered it to what people can do to replicate you know, sort of a, a tournament situation in practice. But what about the guy listening who's like, man, you know, I seem to be able to hit it decent on the range. And yet I go out and play whatever round with my buddies. Doesn't even, it doesn't matter. It's not men's night. It's just any round they play are unable to replicate the feelings of compression or whatever they're doing in the real round of golf doesn't, and I'm not talking about tournament golf. You've been coaching guys a long time. What is it you think that they do that's different on the, in the actual playing of the game than they do when they're hitting balls in front of you? Two things come to mind. One is that that is kind of the same walk that you and I take to higher level tournament golf or just tournament golf in my case. Right. You know, you, you might feel that some competitions, Howard, uh, no problem. You, you perform at a high level. You don't lose access to your skills at say men's night or something, but you might find that when you go to the Canadian senior, uh, your performance drops. By the way, we don't need to use me as an example. We don't always, you know, it doesn't always have to come back to me. Ooh, you mean, it's a fresh are you, wound case. It's do you a fresh mean, wound. do you mean the Canadian seniors at Cedar Bray as an example? <laughs> Suck it, Casey. <laughs> you know, the walk for you yeah. to that might be kind of similar to the walk for the average golfer from yep. the range to his golf. That's a fair body. point. You know, so it's, it's sort of the same thing. So we don't need to go back and deal with all that. that that's the same. No, we'll do that in our private session, Sean, when I, <laughs> but the other thing I was going to say, you said two things. Point. Yes. Yeah. Would be uneven lies. Oh, I see. You know, and we, 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 yeah. we, we play enough that we know what to do when the balls above our feet or below our feet or, or uh, uphill or downhill. Like oh, those things just natural for us. We've done it enough. But you take these average players out there that kind of are just range guys and, you know, they, they hit it well on the range, but they don't hit it well. A lot of them don't discount that they really don't know what to do on the mm. And And you get onto golf courses and the ball's in different conditions and they they just don't have a good strategy. Ball's in the wrong spot, should be forward, but it's back. You know, ball above the feet, 
swing should be, you know, a little flatter, should be aiming a little right, ball's going to come out left. And, you know, all those little nuances about playing golf that they just they just don't know what to do. Oh, that's a great they, point. If they miss hit a lot of shots because it's not a flat like a – It's not a range line. Yeah. And, so that, that, that's worth something. The other thing I throw at both of you, and this will be a good segue once we uh, let Sean go, but – it, Charlie Fitz uh, Simmons, who's another friend of the show, high-level golfer, doctor of uh, sports psychology or psychology. And um, what we were talking about recently, because he caddied for me at an event, and I'll, we can talk about that after you're gone, but he's talking about the idea that for most golfers when they practice, they don't randomize their practice enough. Mm-hmm. And and you sort of touched on it a little bit. The average guy just sits there on a flat lie hitting not even shaping shots or trying to hit shots, just making golf swings. What about the benefits of randomization when it comes to our everyday practice? Yeah, that's a really good one. That would kind of be a, 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 we'll say bridging, you know, your practice to take to the course. That would definitely be part of the discussion when we talked about making your practice harder. You know, I don't know if I used those words earlier, but um, certainly should have more intense okay, find ways to make your practice harder more intense and harder well part of that would be randomizing your practice that's harder you know you don't get to hit the same club twice in a row you, you get into a rhythm when you're just hitting that seven iron over and over and you know the exact distance the ball stays the same every time and you can kind of lock in a feel but if you're changing clubs every time and maybe changing targets and maybe it's the shot you're trying to hit or so on and so forth that that definitely would be something I would recommend. So Charles is absolutely right. You know, randomizing your practice would be a, a smart thing to do to help you prepare better in your practice to go play the game of golf. Nice. Yeah, well, so one of the thoughts that I have around that is um, a lot of players will go to the range kind of looking for a swing thought. You know, what's going to work today? You know, and I think sometimes a, a, another approach might be go to the range and see what's up. See, what's your shot that day? Are you hitting it heavy? Well, you may have to you know, alter your ball position or something, but allow kind of golf to come to you. But in, just in terms of that randomization piece, um, I find a nice practice. I've seen other people do it, and you don't need a lot of time to do this, is just change your target every time and change the shape of your shot. Just just all that, just change that target. One's going to be a draw. Then one's going to be, you know, maybe a higher shot. You're going to hit a low shot, a fade. Then then the next club. And you don't need all kinds of time. You just, you know, 10 minutes is really all you need. Yep. Yep. I agree. That's, uh, that's a good one. And I, I love that saying that to yourself, Tim, before a round of golf or a range session is this, Let's just go see what I got today, and just yeah. just kind of be be present that way. Um, yeah. It's a nice thing to say to yourself before you tee off. Let's just go, let's go see what see what. Let's go see what happens, and, yeah. and just be present and deal with the challenges that flow our way at the moment, and try to handle them as best as possible. But every day is different. We, we try to treat it like, hey, if we do the same thing every day, we'll get the same outcome. And it's like we just we know that's not the case. Things change that are out of our control. We can't force consistency day to day force 64s or whatever we see at the highest level of golf 64 78 you know i'd say all the time Mm -hmm. don't don't think they didn't eat the same breakfast and do the same warm-up and show up at the exact same time and do the exact (laughs) same pre-shot routine well what the heck happened you know 64 78 are you kidding me it's like it happens at the highest level and these guys are as prepared and consistent with their processes anyway right so things get thrown your way 
question is, are you going to be able to uh, handle the challenges of the day? And, and, and understand and understand that every day is different and be open to the fact. But think about the kind of people golf attracts, the kind of type A perfectionist leaning, talking about myself now, that of course we want predictability in an unpredictable world. And that unpredictable world of golf is so random, to lean on that word again, that, you know, I've said this on the show a hundred times, everyone thinks this will be the day that nothing bad happens. And it's like, hey, I just tripled the first hole. Like, I played in a tournament. We'll talk about it after. But I played in a tournament on Monday where the winner of the tournament triple bogeyed the first hole. And then, you know, he's got experience. Two-time played in the Canadian Open, Ashley Chinner. Ashley's oh, played wow. enough. Ashley's played enough professional golf that he tripled the first hole and went, "Okay, you know, now let's see what happens." But I promise you, when he left, it was a it was a crazy day. We're going to talk about it later. But it was a crazy day. It rained all day. But I guarantee you, he was warming up next to me. He wasn't thinking he's going to triple the first ball, the hole of the day. But then, you know, played a bunch of holes after, and turns out he won. Well, th- that connects so well to what Case was just saying about go to the first tee and let's see what happens today. Yeah. I'm sure that Ashley didn't send it, well, I'm probably going to make a double or a triple, so let's get it over with quick. No, no. That's funny. I, I guarantee you, well, I knew I was going to make at least one triple here today. Exactly. Um, but. So what I think what to connect what Case was saying, it's just like, let's just see what today's adventure and how it unfolds. Right. You know, it's kind of like I look at golf sometimes is you, you have a raft and you push it into the water with the three people you're playing with. And then you push it on a shore after you come off the 18th green. And who knows what happened? And you add yeah. it up and see what happened that day. But when you identify and you want to have certain things happen, in essence, control golf. Uh, well, just good luck with that. Yeah. Well, listen, Sean, um, it's great having you on the show. See, you did another great Sean uh, Casey appearance. And, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, we, we've both known Sean for a long time. He's been teaching me off and on for a long time. And I called him the other day. And uh, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. It's a couple weeks ago. Sean answers the phone. He's like, yeah, well, like there was some golf emergency. <laughs> it said, almost like, he didn't, he didn't say why you calling me, but it was like he answered like, he answered kind of like, like, you know, what's this? What's Howard? What's he, what's, and I just said, hey, dude, I was thinking about you. And I wanted to call and say hi. And it was like a, a second or two because it was not about golf. I just was thinking about Shawnee and he's got a new kid and two kids now. And I was like, I wonder what Sean's up to at eight o'clock in the morning on a Friday. And anyway, see, I can call, we can talk about other things other than golf. Yeah, no, that was nice. I appreciated uh, that call. Well, I'm and glad, yeah, it, it, oh, it threw me off. I was like, <laughs> no, afterward, I'm... I was like, wow, that was, that was nice. You just don't get too many calls like that these days, do you? You know, you, no. yeah. you know how often you get a call from somebody who you you like you know and uh they're just calling to see how you're doing yeah i know it's amazing eh? you can <laughs> use actually the, the, you have this amazing technology in our pockets and it actually has the, a phone thing yeah you can actually use and talk to somebody but case i just wanted to say man you're just looking good just thank you just looking good well yeah well why don't you call him and tell him there. that Hey, Sean Casey, the uh, Sean Casey Academy at Burl Oak Indoor Golf. 
Uh, you, uh, I've I've uh, sent a bunch of people Sean's way, and uh, if you're in the GTA, go check out his facility. And if you can get to see him, I just uh, talked to somebody. I, I talked to somebody every other day. It was like, oh, yeah, I was just uh, hitting balls with Casey. I'm like, God damn it! I don't want Casey giving away all his secrets. <laughs> all right, Sean, Thanks. take care, man. Thanks, boys. All right, Thanks for pal. Now, yeah. see you, man. Cheers. You know that um, analogy you said about uh, the raft pushing off the raft. Sometimes, uh, I, again, I, I know. <laughs> when I would be, when I was a pilot, yes, I was a pilot. <laughs> I'm only laughing because my buddy was in town uh, like last week, and something came up. We were talking about the weather, and I said something about uh, about aviation. He goes, "You were a pilot." <laughs> Fucking made me laugh because he's like mocking me, like as though. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it justice. It just made me laugh. Oh, you were a pilot, really? <laughs> yes. Well, so, well, speaking of different things that we do, uh, Sean Cullen says hi. Hold that thought. Let me tell you this story because okay. I, I'm because I'm trying to pick up on something you said. Okay. So uh, the idea of being committed. Once you and three people tee off in the first tee, you're sort of committed. And when I was flying. Everything, you get everything ready. It's like warming up on the range and you get the plane ready and you get your passenger briefing done and you get clearance from the tower and you line up on the runway and there's a point where you are committed. And when those wheels leave the ground, guess what? You're golfing now, buddy. Like you're, <laughs> you've got your years. There's no going back to the clubhouse. And it always gave me that feeling of like, well, I guess we're going to do this, you know? And uh, sometimes when I'm playing, well, tournament golf especially, I get that same feeling like, well, we've all said hello and we've exchanged uh, pleasantries and I've said let's uh, try not to hate ourselves too much when it's over and and uh, I've identified the ball. Well, here we go. I mean, you know, I mean, the consequences of screwing up aren't as bad, but I'm talking about yeah. golf. The consequences of screwing up in golf are way worse than flying. Um, anyway, so you were at uh, my buddy Sean Cullen's show last night. Yeah, we were at the, uh, Sandy and I went to the Fix Gear uh, Eatery and Club in Guelph, and Sean Cullen and Darren, who? Christopher, you, Chris Locke, I love the guy, he's nuts. Oh, yeah. Well, he's they were both so nuts. funny. Oh, absolutely. And it was, in essence, they just, so they did this theme of, like, what do you do with a drunken sailor? Mm. They both had on, like, the shirts, you know, with <laughs> no, the horizontal stripes and the, and the sailor hats. And basically, it was like an hour and a half of just improv. Yeah. And, oh, they were so good. And um, just, just, I don't know, maybe, uh, it, it's just that the way that they're so present and just so in the moment. And just allowing things to happen. If that's an analogy one can grasp on for golf, my goodness. Um, but boy, they had fun. And so I went up to him afterwards and uh, said that you and I had, uh, uh, we worked together on the podcast. And so he said, say hello to my old friend, Howard. Mm. Uh, here's how I go. Well, thank you. I, Sean was in a group in the 90s called Quirky and the Juice Pigs. Oh, Yes. And uh, Corky and the oh Juice Pigs. And, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. Sean was one of the lead singers and lead, well, lead, one of the lead, well, there was, I guess, three or four of the guys. And so Corky and the Juice Pigs and another band called The Arrogant Worms and another band called Moxie Fruvis and, oh, an, yeah. and another not as well known band called The Bare Naked Ladies used to basically come on our show 
sort of rotate. Like I had them on the show all the time. The ladies were on the edge. This is on the edge. And the Bare Naked Ladies played our Christmas show every year. Cork and the Juice Pigs were on a couple times a year. There's another another couple of improv comedy groups. And then Sean went off on his own. But I've been I've been at a few shows when I've done stand up with Sean because Sean's stand up is different than his improv. But as I told you yesterday on the golf course, like Sean's a world class singer. Yeah, like he was in uh, when when the Broadway production of the producers came to Toronto. Sean did it. Not only in Toronto, but I think he also did it in Stratford. Like a great, super talented guy. But I will tell you, one of the strangest and nicest people you'll ever meet. (laughs) Um, Uh, uh, Somehow I get it in terms of the the strangeness. Oh, yeah. Very, very strange. Um, But back to uh, this thing um, with Ashley. And this uh, was a great opportunity for me. And we can circle back to the Canadian Open, but I, because I, I, I want to, I want to come back to the Canadian Open and what you wrote. We don't need to go through the whole thing. It was very good. I used it because I was making notes for the Humble and Fred show. I made a whole bunch of notes, and then you sent out your blog, and I was like, I, I didn't need to make any notes. It's all here. <laughs> it was very great. And if you want to oh, see you. what we're talking about, it's called um, what's your Substack up and down. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we'll plug that now, and I'll get it at the end of the show. But here's uh, the tournament I was in on Monday. It rained. It was horrible conditions. And if it, if it was any other tournament on any other golf course, the entire field would have canceled. But it was the national, the first time they've had the invite since 2019. There was COVID, and then they've had a couple of years where they were they canceled it because of repairs and whatever it was. Highly anticipated. It's one of those things where if you're a tournament player. You know, like the, uh, the invitational circuit. It's the one you want to get. It's really tough to get into. And Charlie, our friend, Charlie Fitzsimmons, has had an, a wrist injury that has prevented him not only from playing in that, but it might prevent him from playing in the Ontario Amateur, Canadian Amateur, etc., in the Mid-Am. Oh, which I think he's, Which I think he's the defending champion in. So Chucky calls me up. He said, hey, um, I'm, you know, I was feeling a little bit down about missing the tournament. And he said, uh, I said, well, yeah, it's a drag, dude. He said, hey, would you mind if I caddied for you? <laughs> I was like, would you mind? Sure. Because <laughs> um, we've played enough together. I was pretty comfortable with him, or so I thought. Anyway, he called uh, Kier, and Kier said, sure. And it's funny because people don't know this, but Charlie used to caddy at the National as a kid. And the thing about the National, just like Augusta, all the caddies have to dress the same. They have to wear the onesie. <laughs> and, and for people who don't know, Charlie is a huge man. He's like 6'4", 240, and he still has his onesie from when he was caddying there because I guarantee you they did not have his size. So I would just quickly tell you that it was, again, a really tough day. It was raining in the warm-up, like raining hard. Like like our round yesterday, only all day, unrelenting. And so that was a bit of a challenge and on so forth. And um, I was a bit nervous. It turned out I was a little bit nervous having Charlie caddy for me. I just can't explain it. I just couldn't release the club. I couldn't let go. And this became our theme. Because yeah. I was uh, six over par after five holes with with double bogeys back to back. But one of the double bogeys, I sank a 25-foot putt for the double bogey. So I was r- pretty quickly reeling. 
And then Charlie said something to me that, you know, he's pointed this out before when we've played a tournament together, but I thought I'd overcome it. But as we're walking from the fifth green to the sixth tee, he said, you know, you know, this isn't really my area, the technical stuff, you know? I said, yeah. He said, but it just looks like to me like you're holding on to every swing. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, so far you haven't really ever finished a swing. Like, like, and that doesn't, when you, when you can't see that, and what he meant was it was almost like I never quite got to a full finish on anything. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you know, that's kind of a sign or an indicator. I'm not talking about punch shots. I'm talking about hitting full drivers that look like you're making a three-quarter swing. And he said, uh, because you know that's a a sign of like just hanging on for dear life, trying to steer the ball. The opposite of like letting it go, you know. And that became our little song for the day, Charlie and I. (laughs) So after being six over after five, I started to say to myself, okay, I'm comfortable with wherever it goes. And I'm, we're wearing rain gloves and full rain gear, umbrellas, towels. It was quite a shit show. But I played the next 13 holes, five over par. And it felt better, you know. It was good having him see me go through that because we talk a lot about this stuff, as you and I do. And it was a great experience. I ended up shooting 83. So Ashley shot at the National. So Ashley shot 75 and won by five. The next lowest score was 80. There were six of us that shot between 80 and 83 and a good portion of the field of some of the best senior golfers shot 90 and above. Mm. There was there were lots of guys I could name that, you know, that shot 93 and 94. So that's the kind of day it was. And to finish off, there was a very good player who I know who had never played there before. And when I saw him after we're getting dressed, I said, how was your day? He said, I'm embarrassed. I said, before you tell me what you shot, I just want you to know I was here for 16 years. <laughs> There's no number that you're about to say that I haven't shot myself. Trust me. <laughs> and he laughed. And I was just hoping it wasn't a one. <laughs> so I was like, please don't tell me you shot 101. And it was 93, which I've shot plenty of times there. Oh yeah, but it was a great experience. It was a it was a real good. It was like it would be like if you caddied for me. You could you could see what I don't see about myself, and I'm. It was a great lesson I learned, which is kind of what I was talking to Casey about. Which is, and you know, it's funny. Casey nailed me. I I have no problem letting it go at certain levels. Senior Ryder Cup, the two man at Saugeen. I can just roast it. Um, you know what? just like a regular tour event, but it gets too much for me. Like that was a elevated event for me. And the fact that Charlie was, you know, looping for me. Yeah. The first five holes, it was pretty crazy. The, some of the shots I hit. Yeah. I, I, I relate big time to sometimes when we're playing with other people and specifically certain people, and you just get triggered and it's almost like at an unconscious level i man you know we won't go through the whole bit but the first time you and i played together you know i shanked every iron <laughs> no, shot from i think the fifth hole to the 16th i was like and i should then, do a podcast with this guy yeah exactly um but i remember uh i think i've told this story once but being on the range at glen abbey and we were going to play this is a couple of years later and i'm in them pretty good and then um and I say, hey, Timmer, or something. I look back, and there's you in a big wave. Next shot hit, shank. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's me. 
<laughs> but it's just like there's just something that goes on and, and so you know to get back to that awareness piece that we were talking about with Casey and I guess it out for I'm always banging the drum around awareness is, is like okay what's happening mm-hmm. what is happening and that's why having that third party is so valuable you get this perspective as someone is being able to see you hear you and say hey um, I'm sensing this is going on. What mm-hmm. do you think? And it's like, whoa, that's it. I didn't I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what it was. That's why, you know, getting coaching is so valuable is you got someone else to hold the mirror up to you. You know, I thought a lot about it. Charlie um, took some notes and we had a it was a great day. It was a really long day because the seniors go out in the afternoon. The open competition guys do 36. They did 36 in this ridiculous day. Wow. And we had a few hours to kill after and Charlie had taken some notes and we were sort of waiting for dinner and just talked over like, what is it that the idea that and we've talked about it on the show that when it when it's time to hit the ball, all you can do is sort of let it go at some like I, I understand it from a psychological. I understand it as we're talking about it, but my fear of something and that's what i wanted to share with the audience is that obviously is it a fear of um hitting i don't know let me put it this way you've 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 coached me and and other people but what i what i meant i alluded to when we're talking to sean about the perfectionism or the thing that you know a lot of golfers are type a personalities love being in control you know there's a joke that paul always my buddy paul always says when i first played golf with him i said just so you know i'll be driving the cart forever you know and uh <laughs> and he reminded me of that and and the problem with golf is you can make a plan you can you know do all the pre-shot routine and all the what shot am i going to hit but then when it comes time to go to the ball, think box, play box. We've, we've done a thousand episodes in this. When it's time to go to the ball, you know, the newts in line, you've got to give up control to gain control. I was trying so hard to control everything, as I often do in my own life as well, that it interrupts my natural ability, which, you know, is pretty good. You know, because once I stop doing that, you know, from hole six to 18, I hit it pretty good on the, one of the toughest golf courses you'll ever step on. You know, I doubled 16, got a bit of a bad, bit of a bad break. But other than that, I was three over par for the 15 holes at the, at the national it was pretty good. And a couple of putts here or there, I could have been closer to par. But the fact is I found, not that I found my swing, I just found some freedom. Exactly. Perfectly put. I I find that the uh, I've well, just one of the things I've come up with I think is that in golf the struggle that we often have is it's not a t- our technical ability or lack thereof or anything it's an access issue yes we're unable to access our talent our skill our experience and so much of it is around in essence, just you know, what are we paying attention to? And we talked, it was really f- interesting yesterday. We got rained out with the Oscar Bravo guys, Dave and Matt. And uh, just, I, I just love, we had a, such an amazing conversation and, you know, at the table there. And we talked about this is that, okay, we talk about acceptance a lot in golf. Can you stand up there 
and accept wherever the shot's going to go. You know, that would be like freedom. Mm. But if I'm standing over the ball and I'm having a conversation with myself, can I accept where this going? Well, I'm in my head. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. And so to bring it back to your point, can I stand over the ball in essence to surrender to what my body can do in the moment? Just allow it to do its thing. And I think that's the way we can get around that desire to control, you know, crave a certain result. And then we can, I think, in that space, experience the freedom so we can access our skill and our talent and our experience. It's, But that's a hard thing to do. As you said, you know, you don't become a great player like you without – having drive and passion and putting in all this time and, and thinking a lot about what we're doing. But it's, it, there's a certain point in which we just got to let go of all that mm-hmm. stuff and just basically, in essence, trust and surrender. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, the, the well, f- was very well said. We were talking about this. By the way, the two guys we played with, David Cowks, who is a fantastic player, and Matt Balaban, who's injured, but who's also like a top-level golfer. I said to Matt as we were leaving, because I know his neck was bugging him, but man, that that kid, this is what I call 40-year-olds, that kid has uh, great speed in his golf swing. Like, you can just see it. Like, both very, and excellent players, and deep thinkers about the game. And obviously, they paid way more attention in school than you and I did, because, you know... Look at their uh, look at their success, and you know we're just wearing their shirts. They here's how you know the difference: they made the shirts, we're wearing the shirts. But but we were talking to them about this idea, and, I, and this is where not that I disagree, but I I think that there's there's a psycho there's a intellectual acceptance. I go to the first tee today. I'm I know that I can make uh, uh, whatever number I can. I know I'll be okay. So I've I've tra- I've transcended from getting mad, throwing clubs, being pissed off. You know, like I could have I, 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 I would have if ten, ten years ago if I was six over after five, I would have shot one ten. So I've got to that point, and this is the conversation I had with Charlie. But I still, under circumstances, whether it's the senior am the Sean said the Canadian seniors, um. I still, as you point, pointed it out so well, I don't have access to my skills because even though I'm acceptance, I have acceptance strategically over the ball, I'm still not willing to let the co-pilot land the plane. Did I mention I was a pilot? <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's like if in, a, in, in a commercial aviation sense, oftentimes whoever's not flying has certain duties the captain and the co-pilot, and then at some point, it's time to take off, and the other pilot has to do the physical part. And it's like that in golf. At some point, you've got to let your co-pilot or your golfer or whatever you want to say, you've got to let them fly the plane because you can't do both in golf. You can't strategize and blah, 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 and then also steer it because that's why when you play with somebody, it looks like they're not having a good day. It's because they're steering it all over the place. And in your realm, why are they doing that? Shame, embarrassment, afraid, fear. And, And I really think fear for me, and I don't know what exactly it is, limits the, my ability to rotate and technically launch a golf ball the way I can on the range or I can on men's day at Glen Karen. 
So that's what I. That's why when a guy like I see Nick Taylor, watch this segue. When you watch those guys play, that's what fascinates me. As squirrely as shot as Roar, um, Fleetwood hit, and a couple of weird things that. They still hit the golf ball pretty much in the center of the club at the highest pressure you can imagine almost every time. And they also hit some squirrely shots, too. In the playoff, yep. uh, Taylor necked one there to, to the right. Yeah, absolutely. Did. I don't think Fleetwood ever hit the 18th green uh, in regulation in the playoff with the second shot. Um, he was always short and right. And... But I, I would love to eventually have a conversation or to overhear one with Nick Taylor around that subject of of the trust and surrender piece, if you will. He probably uses different language, but the ability. I mean, you you think of that. It's you know you think of say Bernard Langer and the War by the Shore Ryder Cup, that mm-hmm. four footer that he had, or Patrick. Uh, no, no, it was uh, McGinley, Paul McGinley. You know, knowing I forget what Ryder Cup it was that if he made this putt, Europe wins the Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and what were the things going on in Nick Taylor's head about winning his own, you know, national championship and, and ending this drought from 1954? Like, how do you keep all of that quiet? And I, I just got to think that in terms of what I witnessed of Nick Taylor, just, you know, watch it on TV like everyone else, is that he just had this way about him to just. He went through his his process, and he was there, and he just was able just to just ride it out. But you imagine how difficult it would be, you know, knowing you know that if Tommy Fleetwood makes this ten footer, I lose, and then being able to watch that and then go, oh, he missed. I'm still alive, mm-hmm. and like, oh my gosh, talk about emotional ups and downs. <laughs> Well, listen, we've got a few more minutes left. I don't want to, like I said, I was making a bunch of notes before the Humble and Fred show, and I got your uh, sub stack. And again, I'll just recommend it to everyone. It's called Up and Down, Random Thoughts on an Emphatic Canadian Moment. But rather than go through a point by point, agree with a lot of it. Nance is great. All of it, uh, the tackle of Adam Hadwin was hilarious. So Canadian. The fact that Had- he didn't get hurt. I, and I think both of us follow Hadwin's wife, Jessica. Oh, my God. She's, She's hilarious. So- oh, yes. She was kept she kept um, posting different points of view of her husband being tackled. It was great. But I want to ask you some questions as a guy that's covered this hmm. as though this was, uh, you know, the Humble and Fred show. And I had Tim O'Connor on who had been covering Canadian golf for a long time and been at the Canadian Open multiple times. So, as a guy that's done all that, like, give us some context, having covered so many Canadian Opens. Like, you mentioned in the Substack, but as a guy that's done that, like, the, the years after year of this Canadian never having won, and, and what are some of the thoughts, just as a journalist, that you had? Well, uh, thank you, Nick Taylor. Because we never have to hear that <laughs> damn thing ever again. That's right. That it's been since 1954 that a Canadian has won our national championship. So thank you, Nick Taylor. But that's part of the story and the burden, if you will, that the, every Canadian player has felt when they've been kind of close to it, winning the Canadian Open. I mean, even Mo Norman, 1963, Scarborough. He was in contention, and it just overwhelmed him. Mm-hmm. Our good friend Richard Zokel, 
Yeah. He was in the lead. I forget what year it was. I think 87 and, you know, or something. He just threw yeah. up all over himself. He just, you know, he admitted were, he wasn't he wasn't ready. Were you there in 2004 for VJ Absolutely. versus uh, Wyatt Weir? Yeah, absolutely. I was inside the ropes watching that. And you could just, the 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 pressure is just, you know, off the charts. I mm-hmm. mean, I wrote my Substack thing. I think if Nick Taylor or Corey Connors won the U.S. Open, our reaction as Canadians wouldn't be anywhere near the same. Yeah, let me jump in. I agree. I, I, that came up in a conversation I had with somebody. Maybe you. I just said, if he wins the U.S. Open, with that, wouldn't even, it wouldn't touch it for me. No, it, it wouldn't. wouldn't even be 100%. close for me. It'd be cool. Another Canadian winning a major, but nothing like a Canadian winning the Canadian Open. Even saying well, it sounds absurd. No, but it hits us at a soul yes. level that you just can't articulate. I mean, and that's why, you know, the Ryder Cup is so amazing. Yes. You know, you have the Europeans together and they're just they're with their brothers in arms and the Americans feel the same. It's just you. you it's just incredible. So, you know, as a journalist, you know, watching Nick Taylor, I still have my journalism hat on to a degree. It was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he knows he's in the hunt. Mm-hmm. How does he just keep it shot by shot by shot, follow his process? And, and at a certain point, you just got to let the shot go and let's see what happens. And And, like, oh, my gosh, for him to be able to bring it um, – but, you know, it's like, it's just so incredible. And I'll tell you, if I'm sure in the press room at Oakdale, the Canadian guys all went apeshit. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure there was did. high fives yeah, everywhere. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to cheer in the yeah, press yeah, room. Yeah, I know. I've actually, I saw. got to know. I saw his press conference. They all, they all applauded. Um, speaking of uh, the, the press, the numbers for Nick Taylor's win were the highest numbers for the Canadian Open on CBS since Tiger in 2003, whenever that Tiger was. Mm-hmm. Um, they're up 20% over last year. Like, And you, you mentioned this, but it was one of the other notes I wrote was, not only do I love Nance, but the fact that CBS really highlighted a non-American story because it was... It was too hard to ignore. It was so, it really was, even if you're an American watching that, you had to be captivated by the underdogness of it, the, the field of dreams of it. The, if, uh, if you love, all of that. yeah, if you love sports, even if you wasn't, you're American, it was watching some history happen. And, you know, sitting there with my oldest daughter, Charlie, and, you know, as the playoff was going on i kept repeating the same thing everyone in canada is watching this and charlie was like daddy i don't think everyone i said everybody the prime minister this guy i kept naming people he's like are you sure i said every single canadian citizen i said if you're not My watching this walker <laughs> said, if you're not watching this you should get kicked out of the country and uh, even yeah, i know i always find it amazing i remember when when canada won um first time they won the Olympic gold with Mario Lemieux and all this. And, and we got a phone call within 30 seconds of it. And, and, it's, and it's like, Hey Bill. And, and how are you, Tim? Oh my God. Canada just won gold. Oh, they did. I'm like, <laughs> how can you not? Oh, I how know. can you not be plugged into this? So anyways, the unifying factor of it is, is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. That, that, that is so 
fund, that, that whole, you know, we talked about it before is that, you know, we'll call it, say, the moment. In, in sports, it's just so amazing. You just can't script it. That's the wonderful thing about live sports. But back to CBS, yeah. they so, I mean, it was a compelling story. It was almost like, it was almost like, you know, baseball, you know, game seven, the World Series, and there's a pitch, and then immediately there's a cutaway to a fan's face, and someone's like, uh, you know, biting their nails. And the way they would show Hadwin's face or Corey Connors or Weirsy and, and the, or Justin Rose and Shane Lowry, it just it what a compelling mix. Yeah, and 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 in true Canadian fashion, you know, we're all like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but you know, you just thought, well, you know, I was messaging my brothers when uh, Fleetwood birdied 17. And I knew all he had to do was birdie 18. I said, well, it's too bad. It's over now. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, this, there's no way he doesn't birdie 18. Exactly. It's the easiest hole in the golf course. And then all the things happened that, you know, you're sort of not, I was hoping, but you're sort of pessimistic and kind of like, well, this isn't going to happen. And then the emotions just watching it. I want to get to this before we uh, close because Tim and I uh, both got... A, um, I'm trying to find David's original response to both of us. Uh, oh, here it is. So this is literally Sunday. So the, the, the tournament is over. What was it? About 7.15 p.m.? Something like that, right? That's about this, yep. In that neighborhood. At right. 7.56, Tim and I get a note. Hi. Congratulations, guys, on the Canadian win. That is awesome. The straightaway will be on its way to you shortly. And that's a note from David Ledbetter. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? David Ledbetter? And then Tim uh, sends uh, David this Substack piece, which I want you all to read. David comes back. Tim, great piece on the tournament. It was really fantastic. That cannot A bit of theater that cannot be mimicked, no matter how many millions are thrown around. Love to come on your show anytime. Goes on to basically allow us to call him an official friend of the show. Because um, he wants to... He, remember, he was on earlier talking about his thing called the straightaway. It's a, it's a device he's invented. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah. He's now... Yeah, that was, that was very kind of him. And uh, maybe... By the next time he's on, we'll, we, we won't feel compelled to go Mr. Ledbetter. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, of all the people we've had on the show, we've had some pretty famous ones in the world of golf. Sean Foley, Michael Hebron, you know, Marty Chuck, all those, Sean uh, Casey. But, Tom, uh, Scott Fawcett. Scott Fawcett. But I'll tell you, man, I throw around Ledbetter's name, it gives you a little bit of credit. I like oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Ledbetter's emailing us now. It was great. When I saw that, I was like, this really is cool. I'm going to practice awareness and not let it go to my head. Uh, not me. I'm letting it go to my head. By the way, I want to say this was fun hanging out with Tim and these guys from uh, Who is Oscar Bravo. Make sure you check out their shirts. What a couple of characters. But um, so I guess we got there around, uh, I don't know, around noon, noon for lunch at the brush, at the paintbrush, and um, also rained all fucking day. And um, speaking of the F word, like the Tim O'Connor you all know here on the podcast, 
That's not Tim O'Connor. That's podcast Tim. <laughs> that's podcast Tim. And that's who I'm going to start calling him from now. Oh, hello, podcast Tim. Because golf course Tim. So we meet at noon. We go to the range about 1.15. We tee off at 2. In that hour and 45 minutes, I said to these guys, I said, I've heard O'Connor say the F word more in these two hours than I have in eight years. Golf course Tim swears a lot. Just know, Okay. In case, no, baby, need, G, in case I, I, baby Jesus is listening. I need to get my mouth washed up by, with soap. <laughs> you were you were on fire, man. I, 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 at first, I really didn't really notice. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's O'Connor. Is he really saying fuck every second word? I'm like, geez, what is going well, on? I read somewhere in some learned, learned uh, journal, you know, written by intelligent people that using curse words mm. or whatever you want to call it, right. it's actually very good for you. It's, <sighs> it's a show, it's a sign of that you're you're articulate. You are so articulate. We'll just go with that. Yeah, and, and I couldn't believe the many different ways you used it. Um, <laughs> this uh, program brought to you by the Stealth Two Driver. Brought to you by TaylorMade Golf and the all new TaylorMade Stealth Two. Introducing Stealth Two, Stealth Two Plus, and Stealth Two HD Carbon Woods, designed with more carbon for more forgiveness. Learn more as always at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Also brought to you by Who is Oscar Bravo, makers of finest golf polo you could ever wear, of fine Italian fabric. Got to find out exactly what it is, but check it out, folks. Who is OscarBravo.com. As well, if you want to do what the uh, tour players do, go get stretched, improve your sports performance and range of motion as well as flexibility. Check out stretchlab.com. Uh, up and down uh, the name of uh, Tim's uh, Substack. Go search it out on the, the internet. And of course, the uh, Humble and Fred program, baked fresh. Uh, well, I was going to say daily, but we're on our summer schedule. So, you know, every so often, um, humbleandfredradio.com. Uh, Timmy, great job. Yeah, thanks, man. And uh, good to spend time with you yesterday yeah. and again today. Just, just keep your, uh, your vulgarities down, okay, buddy? <laughs> I'll try and I'll see you later, podcast Tim. Coming in out of the rain, they hear the